Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The Grind. Thanks to Tennis Direct, your number one online tennis store with great prices and fast delivery. Go shopping at tennisdirect.com.au. Use the discount code FIRSTSERVE10. Hello to the First Serve family and all the listeners out there. My name's Alex Johnston and welcome to The Grind. Here at The Grind, we'll be taking our focus to the lower levels of professional tennis on the Challenger and ITF tours around the world. The Challenger and ITF tours are an often overlooked aspect of tennis, yet it's a place where all former and aspiring champions have cut their teeth, learnt the ropes and honed their skills. Over the course of the year, we're going to focus on all the big results, identify up-and-coming stars and try to learn a bit more about the characters who make up this vital aspect of the sport. In the first episode, I'll be summing up the year in review and we were lucky enough to speak to American tennis broadcaster Mike Cation about all things Challenger Tour. So without further ado, let's get stuck into it. I don't believe there's a huge difference, you know, between the Challenger Tour and the ATP Tour. It really tests your spirits because they're usually always in the smaller cities of the country. It's harder to get to. Traveling is tougher, so you really build thick skin. You got to be tough. For the upcoming players, for uh, young players who are trying to make it through, it is very important because that's a stepping stone to the ATP Tour. Got so many matches on a high level against very difficult players, so you just can't skip the steps. And you know, I took I took the hard way, but it, it was good. I mean, a lot of great wins, and it helped me a lot. I think the Challenger Tour really helped test your mentality. Playing a lot of matches helped me to have confidence that I could translate that into the next level. It's very important to come to see, and you can see the next Federer, the next Nadal, the next top player is maybe here. There's no ATP World Tour without a challenger. There's no champion, there's no top 10 without a challenger. This is where everything starts. I feel the challenger level is so competitive, everybody plays so well. Some challengers are even as, as tough or tougher than a few qualities that I played in ATP, so it just it, it prepares you very well mentally and physically for those big tournaments. I mean, Challenger Tour is, is essential for men's tennis. I would encourage, obviously, a lot of tennis clubs and academies and federations around the world to invest in challengers because that means that you're investing in the future of tennis for sure. We'll kick things off a bit of a recap of the year so far, starting with the Challenger Tour. There's been 62 tournaments completed across five continents, featuring 40 different champions and 10 men with multiple titles. Britain's Jack Draper has cleaned up with four titles, while a further nine men have claimed two each, including young guns Luca Nardi of Italy and Chun Sin Seng of Chinese Taipei. From an Aussie perspective, it was great to see Alexander Vukic claim a title in Bengaluru back in February after a strong showing at the Australian Open where he made it past the first round of a major for the very first time. Fellow Aussie Chris O'Connell won his first challenger title since 2019 last month, claiming the split open in Croatia as he edges towards the top 100 in the rankings and prepares for a tilt at Roland Garros. And just last week, Alexei Popperin claimed his second career challenger title winning the event in Bordeaux in France as he looks to regain some form and break back into the top 100 in the world. From an ITF perspective, 
There have been well over 200 tournaments in the first quarter of the year, with some 4,300-plus players taking to the courts globally. Australia has hosted 12 ITF events and two Challenger events in 2022, split between Canberra, Bendigo and Taralgon, with six local winners. Dane Sweeney and Omar Jaseka have been impressive for the men, while Olivia Gadecki and Jamie Fawless have been solid on the women's side of things. Perhaps one of the more impressive starts to the ITF season is from Sydney's Rinky Hijikata, who won two titles in two weeks over in the United States at Bakersfield and Calabasas. And as a result, he's risen to a career-high ATP singles ranking of 232 at the time of recording. Moving on to our story of the season so far, and that's the form of Jack Draper, who we mentioned off the top of the show. The Englishman has had an outstanding start to the year, becoming the first person in history to claim four challenger titles in the opening quarter of the year, all at the age of 20, if you don't mind. Draper claimed his first three titles in Italy before winning an unprecedented fourth in France. The ceiling seems to be pretty high for the lefty, and Britain has certainly unearthed a talent with Draper. British number one Cam Norrie had high praise for Draper following their clash at the Miami Open earlier this year, and I quote, I really like Jack's game. He's got a big serve, can hit all the spots on serve, he can generate big on the forehand side, he's already got a very complete game, and it's no secret why he's winning challenges pretty comfortably. I think he's a future top 10 player. Adding to Norrie's praise was one of Britain's all-time greats, Tim Henman, who's also aboard the Draper train. He's had quite a few injuries, hasn't really been able to build the momentum previously, but this year, it's a different story. I think people that understand the game know that the level of tennis at challenger level is very high. It's not a big step up to the main tour, and with all those wins, he's got a lot of confidence under his belt. So since the start of the year, Draper has risen from 265 to a career-high 106 in the ATP rankings, and he is currently sitting in fifth position on the next-gen ATP finals race to Milan. Now, speaking of that, we're going to keep a decent eye on it this year as a few of the Challenger boys are fighting it out to make the final eight, including Australia's Rinky Hijikata, who is currently in 14th spot. He is hoping that Rinky can just sneak into the eight, which is pretty stacked. You've got Carlos Alcaraz up the top, Yannick Sinner, Lorenzo Massetti's in there, Brandon Nakashima. But um, some of the names that would be familiar to Challenger viewers around the world, we have Holger Rune in third, who won a Challenger title earlier this year and actually won his maiden ATP title the other week. Uh, we've got Jack Draper in fifth. Uh, Chun Sin Seng is currently sitting in seventh. And then Flavio Caboli and Luca Nardi are in ninth and tenth, respectively, the two Italians. They've all had wins on the Challenger Tour this year. And Dominic Stricker of Switzerland in 11th position. So we're going to keep a special eye on those guys mainly, but we'll see how it unfolds for the rest of the year. And yeah, he's hoping Hijikata can sneak his way in there. We'll move on now, and I won't keep you waiting anymore. I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Mike Cation. Mike is a longtime tennis broadcaster who works annually at the US and Australian Opens and has been working on the USTA Pro Circuit since 2013 covering the Challenger Tour in the States and increasing its appeal along the way. Mike is also the co-host of the Behind the Racket podcast with American bro Noah Rubin, which you can find through your favourite podcast streaming platforms. I spoke to Mike as he was about to cover the NCAA Championships at the University of Illinois. So before I keep rambling on, here's Mike. Yeah, I'm in Champaign, Illinois, which is the home of the University of Illinois, and we are hosting the NCAA Championships, which... For our Australian listeners, it is the National Collegiate Championships here in the States. Um, it, the, the college tennis ranks have, it's been really exciting the last couple of years. The quality of, of play is just getting better and better. 
Um, there are obviously a lot of Aussie players who are in, in the ranks here in college here in the States. So um, I'm really excited. This is the first time I've gotten to broadcast this event. Um, and it's, yeah, it's uh, college tennis is kind of like um, how I got started in doing, getting back into tennis after I stopped playing at the age of 18, um, was working with the University of Illinois men's tennis program back in 2002, 20 years ago. So to be back here and getting to broadcast a national championship here in Champaign is a, is a big deal for me. Yeah, no, that sounds um, pretty great. So yeah, obviously you're in a bit of the college stuff now. So how much sort of challenger stuff have you seen this year? Yeah, it's been limited for me this year. Um, my, my, you know, to kind of get into the weeds a little bit, my, my challenger contract is with the United States Tennis Association. Um, so at the beginning of the year is um, typically a lot of their challengers are in the summer and then in the fall. Um, here in the States, obviously different for you guys, but um, so so typically there haven't been a lot in the spring and I don't know, uh, January, February, there haven't been a lot during that, that calendar part of the year. Um, this year was no exception. It's been really hard, obviously the last couple of years. So I've only done two events at the challenger level so far this year, um, but it's about to get pretty crazy. Um, there are going to be a ton of events here in the U.S. summer. Um, I'm, in fact, going to be in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Orlando, Florida in the next couple of weeks doing some more challenge. So I guess over the past few years, and I guess you're probably about to see a few more young kids coming through here at these um, national championships, but um, who are some of the young American players we should sort of know about? And I guess who's the most exciting you've seen in the last few years? Yeah, Um it's, it's been, you know, I'm actually, there's one player who I'm really excited to see here at the collegiate championships. Um, it, it's a name that some, you know, more hardcore tennis fans are going to be relatively familiar with. And his name is Ben Shelton. Um, his dad, Brian, played professionally, was a top 60 in the world guy a few years ago. He's his head coach at the University of Florida. Um, and Ben is an explosive talent. Um, he's got, he's a, a, a lanky, but strong lefty who has this incredible, um, very powerful, but loose arm just has really raw, easy power. Um, and he hasn't played a lot of professional events yet, but his, his game is very well suited for the pro tour. So actually this week, I'm really excited to get to watch him. Um, and, and then there, there are some Younger guys, um, Vasil Kirchhoff is one that I'm excited to see. He's a pro, though, uh, at 18. So he's he's um, going to be doing some of the challengers over the next couple of weeks. I don't know that we have necessarily that uh, the big push like we had a couple years ago, obviously, with Riley Opelka and Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafo and Tommy Paul. Um, we don't have maybe that collective group who you all know is going to get to that next level like you did with that, that group of four. Um, I think you're starting to see more and more, especially here in the States, a little bit more um, for the men, long-term development. And that is going through the college game, realizing that the, you know, the body needs to mature. You need to get a little bit more strength underneath you, your legs. Not everybody can be Carlos Alcaraz. Um, and have that kind of strength at the age of 18. My God. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's a little bit more of a push to say, hey, go to college. If, you know, even if just for a year or two, get a lot of matches 
uh, under your belt, get a lot of wins under your belt, and then just kind of develop at your own pace. Pretty good way to do it. I guess one that's come through the college system sort of recently, and I want to see if he's surprised you a bit, would be um, Maxime Cressy. Because he yes. sort of struggled early on to sort of get into college and then make his way through there. And now he's sort of shot up at the start of the year and we saw a fair bit of him here in Australia. So um, yes. yeah, what are your thoughts on his rise, I guess? Yeah, Alex, that's, it's a great question because Maxime Cressy, to hear his coaches at the college level talk about him, one, one guy who was actually a teammate, his name is Austin Rapp, and he's now a collegiate coach. And he said it might be the greatest development over a short period of time in the history of tennis. And that's actually, I, I, I think we're all kind of prone to hyperbole quite a bit, but it's, it's not far off. This was a guy who was playing at the, the lowest bottom level for UCLA, which is a good program, couldn't hit a, a ground stroke to save his life. Just literally, you would get one ball in play, either wing, specifically the forehand, though, and it just bottom of the net. Like, it's not even close. I mean, he's spraying eight to ten. It's like, like you and I playing, Alex. I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot. He identified with his coaches, both back in, in France, he, he does have dual citizenship, but his coaches in France, as well as his coaches back in California and his collegiate coaches, what was going to be the most viable path for him to become a very successful professional. And that obviously involved going the serve and volley route, which is so rare nowadays. Right. Um, But he, he put everything he could in all the eggs into this basket and he really worked it. He, he knew what that would take physically. Um, That's, that's a very grueling style. He knew that he was going to have to shore up because he wasn't going to be able to do it as he moved up. He wasn't going to be able to do it as much as he moved up. Um, so he shored up the, the ground stroke so that it wasn't as much of a liability. Um, but it's it's a great example of, of the fact that, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier, Alex, just this idea that we all mature and grow at different rates. Um, the, the player you saw with Maxime Cressy at 18, 19, you would have just looked and shaking your head and said, no chance this kid has any opportunity to be a top 100 level professional. He's earned it. He's worked his butt off. And yeah, he is, he's made quite an impact. I do worry about the body holding up. That's, that's really tough with that kind of style. Um, but yeah, he's, he's fun to watch and yeah, he's extremely passionate. So I, I think, you know, uh, audiences tend to gravitate towards him because he has so much emotion and does play such a different style than we see in today's game. Yeah, no, it was really unique. I, I tried to get down during the Oz Open as much as I could to watch him. I was fascinated by the little notebook at the change of ends, everything. So yes. He's pretty yeah, exciting to watch. It's just something different. Another another American that's sort of I find really exciting, I suppose, as well. He's got that sort of character is um, JJ Wolf. I saw him playing, I think it was, could have been in Miami, I think, against Sitsipas. And he got yes. pushed wide and he hit an opposite hand forehand down the line. It was just one of the most crazy things I'd ever seen live. Like I had to double check and go, did he hit that left-handed? I, I was sitting courtside for that. And the, the funny part is um, so I was working that week for Tennis TV. And so I got to do the little social media piece uh, with him afterwards. Um, and, and that is a shot that he actually he hits from yeah. time to time. I remember broadcasting a final here actually in Champaign where I am right now, a challenger final 2019, right before, right before the pandemic or was it? 
yeah, it's 2019, J.J. Wolf and Sebastian Corda. I mean, two, two pretty darn good players, right? Um, but he he hit one in that final. Um, it you know obviously it didn't it wasn't a winner like it was against Sitsipas. That was absurd, ridiculous right. to be able to do that. But he does regularly have that when he is stretched out wide to his left, and to see him hit it in that moment against that opponent was really cool because again, it's players at this challenger level, Alex, don't get a lot of exposure um, to a general mainstream audience. So to have that kind of moment, people might say, oh, who's JJ Wolf? What's what's this guy about? And so those moments are really important to take advantage of the social media presence and, and the television presence as much as possible. So that was a really cool moment to see JJ have that. Yeah, no, it was great. I remember I sort of caught on to him a few years ago when he had the long mullet flowing out the back and I thought, yes. this guy, I'm going to follow him um, for a while. So yeah, I've been keeping a pretty good eye on him. He, he cut the mullet. He's, um, I, I don't think you guys, you might've seen it on social media, but here in the States, he's uh, tennis channels. Uh, they have each year, My Tennis Life, where they allow two players, a man and a woman to just kind of take their phones and, and kind of showcase their life on tour. Uh, Sam Groth was, uh, I, I guess, a retired tennis commentator, now politician. Sam Groth uh, was one of the first guys on My Tennis Life. But JJ, I think he needed to look a little bit more professional. So the mullet came <laughs> off at the beginning of the year. I was very sad about it. But yeah, he's he's so, a unique uh, guy. And I, I, I know he's not playing the French, um, which is certainly too bad. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of him this summer. Yeah, likewise. I hope he sort of shoots up and kind of makes the cut a bit more. I guess there's a few Americans. Have you seen any Aussies, I guess, over the past few years or over your travels that you've kind of gone, oh, yeah, don't, you know, keep an eye on them? Yeah, um, Riki Hijikata, who played collegiately here at North Carolina, um, has done incredibly well over the last couple of years uh, or the last couple of months. He's made a big jump um, just seeing his results at the M15s, the M25s. He was somebody I met here in Champaign last year at a, a national team indoor championships. Um, I was introduced to him by Will Blumberg, who was his teammate at North Carolina. And, and Will, who has um, surpassed an Aussie, John Patrick Smith, as the most All-American honors in college tennis, he said to me, this kid is really good. Um, and Rinky had just come back at that time from playing, um, I think, Australian Open Qualies. So last year he played Australian Open Qualies and then came to this national team indoors. And it wasn't his best performance. But I, what I remember about it is you could see how physically drained he is if you've done that type of a travel from Australia to the U.S. and then immediately have to get out and play. You could see he was just physically gassed. But like every single point, he was there despite all of that. Um, and I, I'm, he's a more diminutive player, but I think he's one of those guys who's just going to like leave everything out there. A Diego Schwartzman type of a, a situation, right, where maybe a little bit smaller, but just such raw power within a smaller body. And so he's an Aussie that I'm really looking forward to seeing a lot more. I think he'll spend a lot of time here in the States. Um, so I'm excited to see how he develops. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, yeah, he's won a few ITFs this year in the States and he's sort of starting yeah. to move into that challenger sort of bracket now. I think he's up around the 250 mark in the rankings. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and obviously I had a watch of him this year at the Oz Open in the qualities. I think he actually went out to Cressy as well. Um, yeah. Just a bit overpowered that day, but... Looking forward to watching him come back next year because I think he can really jump up. I think so too. And I, you know, one who's special for me, another Aussie is Alex Vukic. Um, I know you would have seen him this year as well. 
Um, Alex went to school here at the University of Illinois as a very unheralded prospect, but another guy who has worked and worked and worked and developed a, just an incredibly powerful forehand, very big serve. It's more of a traditional American game, if you will, that big serve, big forehand. Yeah. Um, but he, another one of those guys who just puts his head down, just focuses on the task. He's gone through a rough stretch. I think he um, he won a round uh, yesterday at the French Open, as we're, as we're talking now, but he'd gone on like a six-match losing streak, had gone through a bit of a tough time. But he's a guy who's really close to making that top 100 breakthrough. And I think also with a really good summer here in the States, could have that top 75 capability pretty quickly. Yeah, we're really hopeful of him back here. Sort of won his first Grand Slam match this year or first major match at the Oz Open against um, Lloyd Harris. I think it was. I was cracking atmosphere out on Showy 3. Um, yeah. And he won that challenger in uh, Bengaluru and we we're thinking, oh, maybe now. And then he obviously just had that little period there. But yeah, he's certainly right on the edge of it. I think, you know, one of, one of the things about players, uh, Alex, big picture, um, it, it doesn't get talked about too much, but it is it is so physically grueling to do it at this level with the travel, um, the the toll it takes on your body. It's you know, it's one thing for the guy, the, the men and women who are top thirty, top forty, who have that financial capability to take a physio with them, um, who's able to work on their body regularly. I, I think you see a lot more ebbs and flows um, in terms of just the the level of tennis here at the challenger level, just because again, players just get beat up. Um, so, so you might have that big stretch. Alex had a, a big stretch at the end of our fall, your spring um, here in the States. And then obviously what he did in, at the Australian open. And I think it's, you know, frankly, it's pretty natural to see just kind of that little bit of a lull um, at, at this point, just maybe just gassed um, you guys, I, I having done a lot of challengers over the years, you know, I, uh, I've, I had plenty of time with James Duckworth, uh, Alex Bolt, Christopher O'Connell, Matt Reed, um, a lot of those players, Jason Kubler, an, another one, right? So these, these players who would spend, as, as you know all too well, eight, eight months away from home. Yeah. Um, that is a long time to be away, not only from your family and friends, but also just your training base, right? So you don't have that, that ability to really have a week off where you're surrounded by the national you know, tennis center, get your body worked on properly. You have to kind of find and pick your ways to do that on the road. So that's, that's always one of the biggest challenges, especially for your, your Aussie players, just how they manage their schedule properly. And I've seen this year already more players going home um, it, for, for even two or three week stretches. Now that things have opened up um, back, back home for you guys and, yeah. and getting home for just a couple of weeks before they hit the road again. Yeah, for sure. There's um, plenty of challenges being on this side of the world, but yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they, they all have, yeah, it's not as easy as sort of being around Europe and just flying an hour and coming right. back. Right. Um, speaking of challenges, sort of, how do you see the overall health at the moment of the tour itself? And what are some of the main issues you reckon that it faces, I guess? Yeah, the, the challenger level right now is, is um, I, I, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, to be honest with you, Alex. There, there are lots of, tournaments that have are, are struggling understandably financially right now because of the fact obviously global pandemic for two years it's harder to find sponsors who are willing to pony up that that big check that you're kind of used to having over the you know few years beforehand so that that has caused several tournaments 
that are maybe at the kind of the middling level, not your high level ones, some, some of the ones in Europe, it's causing some of them to fold. Here in the States, we're having, I know we have two new challengers in July, but that comes at the expense of three challengers that are no longer there um, because financially they couldn't keep up. Uh, ATP a couple of years ago made it a requirement to pay for housing um, at, at each challenger, which means, um, and this might get into the weeds a little bit, but it means that the, the tournaments themselves, they have to put together hotel housing for a minimum of five days for every player who plays. Right now, that cost with uh, you know the rise in, in travel costs, is, it's exorbitant. Um, there are a lot of t- tournaments that just can't keep up. Um, with that type of cost of just the housing requirement. Um, so that that is a real concern that I think a lot of tournaments have. Um, and especially when you think about like, what do I, how much money do I need to start a tournament here in the States? We always kind of look at it. If you're doing a hundred thousand dollar tournament, you have to essentially raise $300,000 to make it work. And that might be up to 350,000 right now. So it's tough. Um, at the same time, there is more, I don't know what the right word is, more, more acceptance, more understanding, and more um, visibility at the challenger level. Um, I, I think the folks at the ATP, and specifically with the ATP Challenger Tour, they're working really hard to get more social media presence um, on Twitter, on Instagram. They're, they're working really hard right now to try to find ways to get more television coverage for these challengers. And I think that's something you're going to see over the next year or two. Because, yeah, you're, you're seeing a lot of players. A great example for us here in the States is Jensen Brooksby. You know, dominated the first half of last year at the challenger level, had this incredible first half, and then it translated very quickly to, to that higher level. And he's going to be seated at the French Open next week. Um, you know, uh, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, obviously, that's a special, unique talent. But it's a guy who you got to see at the challenger level for a little bit of time and then moved on. Um, so I, I think there's... Uh, with, with more and more social media presence, more and more eyes on it in that regard, the, the uh, ability to watch every single challenger match around the world for free, I think that has gone a long way towards making it a, a much more viable, visible um, type of tournament to have in, in maybe some of your, I don't want to say the smaller cities, but more of your middle-sized cities and just say, well, we can't necessarily host a 250, a 500 Let's bring in a good challenger to see some really good players and and have a go of it. Yeah, for sure. And I reckon some of those really good challengers do well. I know there was one earlier this year, kind of at the same time as Indian Wells was on, there was one in Phoenix, Arizona. Correct. And that was a stacked field. I know um, Kudler ended up winning it, but the, the whole yeah. field was unreal. And I mean, David Goffin playing in that? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but that's 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 going to be, you're going to see that next year um, at, at I believe I, I'm. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but you're going to see that at every second week of, of slams, every second week of master series. Now that those master series are all going to minimum ten to twelve days, that second week, you're going to see more of those high level big challengers. So you're going to see a lot more players who are 40, 50, 60 in the world who are playing those events, and so you're going to see some really packed challengers second week of master series events. Yeah, I reckon that's a great idea because I, I great. why don't why don't they do that more often? Because there's a lot of people that try and go through qualifying for these big events and then 
you sort of look at the nearest tournaments around and they're not that close right. sometimes. So yeah, I just reckon that's a great idea. And, and um, you think about that week, I mean, as, as players are going from Indian Wells to Miami, maybe they didn't get as many matches they would want in Indian Wells or qualifying there. So they need two or three matches before they head to Miami and just get that, that feel back. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was something you sort of mentioning before about coverage as well and how that's going to improve sort of over here in Australia that they're just not really spoken about at all. So one of our writers, Todd Schooler wrote a piece, the challenge of challenges. And he sort of just mentioned how in Australia, they're not really promoted enough. They're not talked about. They're not celebrated kind of over here. We have a bit of Australian open syndrome where it's all, all at the pinnacle. And even, even outside of that, you know, we only, we have the ATP cup, which is a bit wishwashy anyway. Um, and then a couple of ATP and WTA events, and that's really it. So um, we reckon, I reckon it's a great tour and more could be done of it here. So what is, what's the coverage like over there in the States, I suppose? Um, Cause it really seems to work well over there. Yeah. It's um, we, for, for a couple of years, right before the pandemic, Alex, we actually had cooperation with the tennis channel. Um, so our, our challenger events were getting on tennis channel and it was a great opportunity, I think for, um, the, you know, we got to showcase some of these younger players, which I think is really helpful. I think right now, um, as you know very well, the, the television market is changing so much, right? And, and obviously, it's been the last 10 years with so much moving over to streaming. Right now, you're seeing worldwide, as I mentioned earlier, every single challenger is streamed around the world. So you can watch every single challenger match um, top to bottom at any time. I think it's just a matter now of finding a way to get more of more of the challenger matches, not just on atpchallenger.tv, but also finding a way. I, who's who's the is it is it nine there in Australia that that has the tennis or is it seven? Yeah, so nine's got the tennis now. Okay. They put a lot of the stuff through their streaming service stand behind a paywall, so you have to pay the 13 a month or whatever it is, then another seven right. sport package. So yeah. Hi. So it's, it's, it's a matter though of, of getting tennis channel to put these back on their tennis channel plus tennis channel three, you know, tennis channel four. It doesn't necessarily have to be on the linear. You're not going to get people who are going to turn down watching say Indian Wells to watch Phoenix, right. To use that example. You're, it's just not going to happen. However, Having it as a secondary option, if say you're not don't want to watch what's on you know the Indian Wells coverage, but having something on Tennis Channel three, I think that's the right play. Having a, a, you know for you guys at nine, having it on one of the backup nine channels streamed only, that's the right play. I think there it would be amazing if if the uh, national bodies and also ATP WTA themselves worked towards that and and helped to kind of push it it's you're probably not going to get nine you're probably not going to get tennis channel who are just going to pony up a lot of money however in terms of the growth of the and and health of the tour itself both locally and globally to have the challenger levels available on streams where it might be picked up by a few more eyes because you might have the package of of, of channel nine down there or tennis channel here that's kind of the next level to get more and more eyes on it. And I can tell you one of my favorite moments was in Dallas a couple of years ago, it was 2019. Tennis Channel 
they had something during the day, European Montpellier or something like that during during the day. But they would come and do our feature matches every night at seven o'clock and nine o'clock on the main tennis channel. And on day two, so Tuesday night, a woman came up to me and she said, I had no idea there was a challenger in Dallas. I'm three hours away. I saw it on tennis channel last night. And I just, I said, I'm, I'm going there tomorrow. And so she was so excited. She just didn't know there was this event. It just goes to show that if you just, again, show that it's there, show that that level is very high, people will come. It's yeah. just finding that way to get tennis channel executives to look past just like, oh, it's the lower level. Just got to kind of accept that it helps grow the game, helps elevate just the interest level in challenger tennis and what it actually can mean. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's part of it as well. It's like a, a lot of people in Australia just wouldn't even know that any of this is going on. Like you wouldn't read about it in the paper. You don't hear an update on the radio. There's nothing like we had before COVID. I think we had six challenges in Australia for the year. You wouldn't have even heard about it unless you were sort of in the know, if you know what I mean. So we had a couple earlier this year and then, that's sort of the main issue there is we've got these great up and coming players, I suppose, that, you know, the next generation of Australian talent, probably one of the main issues there. And then a little side branch to that, we think another issue is only having a handful of challenges here. And then obviously everyone has to go overseas. We, we think it kind of impacts the development of our players a bit here. So obviously having so many ITF and challenger events in the States, do you reckon that really aids some of the development you see, because you see a lot of Americans coming through in waves and at each sort of level, you know, between 0, 50, 50, 100, 100, 200, and so on. Yeah, you you hit it right on the head. Um, back, I, so I started this job in 2013. I remember at the time there was a person named Stephen Osh who now works for UTR, um, which most people know, Universal Tennis rank, rate, Ratings Ranking. Anyways, um, so um, he he was working with the USTA at the time, and he he was very influential in just saying we need to flood the market. We need to have as many possible events as we as we can. Find fifteen Ks, twenty five Ks. Put more challengers out there. Also, got at the time um, there was more funding um, from Oracle that they got involved and helped finance some of that. So all of a sudden, you know, in, in, in the States, we had 30 challengers and 120, you know, futures events, 15s and 25s. And it was like, holy smokes. And, and now you're seeing that, you know, I, I, I believe it was in Miami when I was there that there were 13 American men inside the top 100. That's ridiculous. Obviously, you know, the focus for the, the mainstream media will be who, who wins the Grand Slam. And, you know, we're not there here in the States, but 100% just you're flooding the market and you're getting more and more guys getting close to that level. And then you hope that one of them is able to make that breakthrough. Um, it, it is it is crucial to the development. I can say one thing though, Alex, I, you know, I, I worked, the, the person who got me back into tennis was Craig Tiley. Um, I, in my first job in tennis uh, as I became a professional, was, was two things. One, as his public address announcer when he was head coach at the University of Illinois, and then he immediately got me working PR at the Champagne Challenger here in the States. He, he fully believed that it was the way to get 
at the time his student athletes at the University of Illinois to that next level. You get them some points at the challenger level and then they can already have a ranking when they graduate. He's a firm believer in that. You know, the, the, the issue becomes how much is uh, Tennis Australia, USTA, whatever it may be, how much are they able to invest in challengers and futures and how much can you get local entities to help provide that money? Because a lot of it does have to come from a local source. And that's that's a really tough question nowadays. Yeah, yeah, it is difficult where you sort of find all the resources, I suppose. Another thing yeah. is, um, I guess, the topic of prize money. Do you think they're getting enough at that challenger level? No, they're, they're not. Um, it hasn't changed in 10 or 15 years. What, what they're making at the average challenger in 80 or 90K. I, I, I'm I'm a firm believer in more money should be trickling down. I know that the ATP has, has done a lot in terms of, as I mentioned, that housing component. Yep. That does make a difference. Um, it has made a difference over the last couple of years that players are no longer having to pay for their hotel. And on top of it, so many of them were staying in sketchy motels on the outskirts of town to save money, right? So that that aspect has helped out dramatically. Um, and the other way that the ATP has helped is, you know, most of these Grand Slams, it's it's not an ATP WTA thing, but the Grand Slams have increased the prize money for qualifiers, yeah. which has made a difference. Um, I, I can say that personally, I am a big fan and a big proponent for a universal basic salary um, to have, if you are 100 to 200 at year end, you receive 25K or some, something along those lines. So the big concern for players is just that not knowing where the next paycheck is coming from. Um, if you if you are able to set aside and say, I have at the year end, I know I have 25K with which to build my travel for the next year, it does give you some freedom to hire a physio for a period of time or say, I'm going to go to Kazakhstan for a couple of months and I know I am have a little bit more functionality there because I have a little bit more money. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one that I think would be a, big help to to players at this level is just having some base guaranteed level of income um, because so many players here especially once you get 200 and beyond they just don't know where and how long they are able to go with what resources they have right now yeah exactly i think i think that's a big issue especially for the, our players over here that's why i see a lot of no doubt places like tunisia or cairo some of those sort of cheaper cost of living places just to kind of you know, gain a bit of money on the ITF tour before having that crack. So yeah, it's um it's not an easy, it's not an easy fix. I think from the top down to the bottom, it's not easy, but certainly a big issue, I think. No doubt. And I, I think it's it's been an issue for a while, Alex. Yeah. Um I, I again I I do know that the ATP specifically is working very hard to try to find viable solutions and what that might be. You know, I'm not privy to those conversations, but I know that is you know, as we're speaking, that is currently up for discussion on how to, without taking away too much money from the very top, how do you at least translate some of that to a lower level? Yeah, exactly. It's um, not an easy fix as we sell. No. Has the Challenger Tour evolved, I guess, since you sort of started back in 2013 to where it is now? I, I think there is that's a really interesting question, Alex. I guess the coverage has gone up a bit, I suppose. There are so many different ways I could go with this. The coverage, I can say the USDA deserves a lot of credit because they showed that the televised model, which they started in 2012, it obviously then translated to a point where the ATP did it, you know, globally. 
that that coverage has evolved since I started um, in 2013, and then by 2015 is when we got to that point that every match was was broadcast. I I think there is now a much higher level of professionalism. Um, I, I think there is just kind of that understanding now uh, with all of these players that they are seen. Um, and, and I know that might sound kind of silly, but the, the fact that, yes, there's broadcast now. They, they are seen by a global group. That wasn't the case in 2012. You could kind of get away with just about anything and nothing would happen because you, nobody would ever see it. But now if you do something stupid, you're going to get punished on social media and appropriately. If you do something incredible, you're going to get a lot of coverage for that. And I think that is the, the biggest sea change in just this understanding that everything they do is completely seen. Um, and there's, there's a little bit of pride that goes along with that. So I, I think a lot of it just has to do with that idea of, you know, we're, they are professionals at the highest level. And I think as social media has evolved, there is more and more acceptance, at least with a, a general tennis populace, that these players are immensely talented. Um, the, the number of players you've seen make that jump and then have an immediate impact at a higher level. You've seen that it can be training grounds for players. You know, if I mentioned Marcos Giron here in, in the States, a guy who went through two and a half years of injury, but then slowly built his career up through challenges. Tommy Paul, the same way. Um, Thanasi Kokonakis, you know, he, his necessity of playing so many challengers because his body had failed him, but he got those matches and got his strength back by playing at a lot of those challengers. There's just much more of an understanding of what challenger tennis can mean to players from that outside perspective, that it is very high level um, and, and that it is a necessity to the tennis ecosystem. It's such a crucial part of the whole picture that if we ignore it and just kind of let it wither there, you're going to have a worse product at the highest levels. So I, I like to think that challenger tennis is extremely crucial. I can say for me personally, um, it's given me the opportunity to develop. Uh, it's given me the opportunity to watch some incredible tennis players grow and help tell their stories. Um, and that's that's one thing that I'm really proud of, not just me, but there's so much coverage at that challenger level of saying, these players have incredible stories. We can tell them. It's not just about Novak and Carlos Alcaraz. It's, you know, as you said, J.J. Wolf, what that's that guy with the mullet. Let's, yeah. let's hear about that guy. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to start seeing more and more of those stories getting told. Yeah, exactly right. I think uh, you and I are in the same boat. I think it can be so great for a lot of players, whether they're coming back through injury or exposure. And yeah, hopefully we can uh, sort of make a lot more people around the world see that as well. Thank you for joining me again today, Mike. It was a great chat, a lot of great insight and uh, yeah, good luck with uh, what you're doing at the moment. Thanks, Alex. I had a really uh, good time and, and hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll see you at a challenger in Australia next year. Well, that's the first episode of The Grind, done and dusted. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed hearing from Mike as much as I enjoyed speaking to him. He's a great character, and hopefully I'll run into him again a little further down the line. So for now, once again, thank you for listening, and I hope you can join me next time. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, 
and follow us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and subscribe to our YouTube channel. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.